Is it heavy? That's the one question I actually have. The only question. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little heavy. Yeah. That's a shame. It's heavy with the weight of victory. Wow. Nice. Wow. (laughs) Deep. Rub ins there. Welcome to the 36th episode of Let's Remember Some Cards, the magic podcast that's here to remember the cards, decks, and stories that make magic the game we love. Hello, I'm David Prestwood. And I'm Christian Wright. Today on the show, we have a very special guest, some random scrub who occasionally just runs so hot they win a tournament. Please welcome back to the show, mythic champion Eli Loveman. Hello, hello. Thank you for coming back. So Eli, first thing first, congratulations on winning the Mythic Championship in London. We were so excited to watch you. How you feeling? It was so crazy. Like, I, I, it, it still hasn't like fully sunk in yet. That's so awesome. I was texting you, yeah, after the tournament and, you know, even up after you made the top eight and you were kind of like monosyllabic in your responses, like, I don't know why what <laughs> it's just like and then went on and won the whole thing so really uh really awesome to see you couldn't happen to a better guy yeah i'm just yeah still ecstatic i mean i'm gonna get a little sentimental here but uh ever since i met you you and uh, a couple of other people lab i'm like they're gonna win but i wasn't expecting a mythic championship <laughs> so that's awesome man well props to you yeah, so listeners, Eli is one of those guys who I think a lot of the people who know him would agree. It's like it's a matter of time before he just wins some major tournament. And so, you know, why not just top eight a GP qualify for the uh, Pro Tour slash Mythic Championship and just win that? And this was a modern <laughs> Mythic Championship. And Eli played the Modern Humans deck. So we said, all right, let's have you back on and let's remember some humans. Yeah, listeners, if you remember, Eli was on episode 16 talking about the Boros Legion. Well, in keeping that going, we'll be talking about the top 16 humans over two episodes. This week, we are going to talk about the 16th through 9th top-ranked humans. Yeah, instead of a top eight, you know, there are a lot of humans out there across the history of Magic, so we figured we'd add the ones that missed on Breakers. But before we do that, let's do what we do every episode, and let's remember that. All right, this week we have an old-school card. This is Meekstone. Meekstone was originally printed in Alpha, It is an artifact that costs a single mana, and it says simply, creatures with power three or greater don't untap during their controller's untap steps. I will note this is different than the original text on the card, which was that any creature with power greater than two may not be untapped as normal during the untap phase, but they've now standardized the Oracle text so it's three or greater. Just let's prevent that confusion. Right. Also, it was a continuous artifact when this was first printed. Uh, They don't refer Mm. to those artifacts like that anymore. Mono, poly, and continuous. The classic <laughs> artifact subdivisions. I'm glad we got rid of that. <laughs> what? So, you, so like, if you, if if it's tapped, it doesn't work? Is that what that means? I, You know what? I couldn't tell you. I wasn't playing. But you, David, you would know this, right? Yeah, so a mono artifact was one you had to tap to use. A poly artifact had an activated ability you could activate multiple times. And then a continuous artifact just had a continuous effect. But it is true that if it became tapped, the effect would not apply for some reason. I, I don't know that that was ever really clarified. Hence the old classic, tap your winter orb and uh, tap your lands. Yes, oh, and they added some of those cards, but not all of them. Like, Trinisphere that, works, but winter orb, they changed. And Meekstone, yes. Meekstone also they changed. 
Right. They also the famous one is Howling Mine. So Howling Mine, they kept the functionality because apparently that was just so cute back in 1993 that they decided to keep that forever for that uh, <laughs> artifact. So you know, good stuff. That that is true. The Oracle text on Howling Mine still requires it to be untapped for players to draw cards for I, for some reason. You know what? They did it, and nothing else you can really do about that. So Eli, this is kind of a good card for you because uh, you know you're a big fan of small creatures. Oh, I thought about playing this card in Legacy like a couple of times. It's not. It's not. It's not a bad card. That's high praise. No, yeah, I've seen it it's uh, sure. Yeah, I can. I can see that. And then uh, you know your elves shrink down to size after you pump them up, and that seems reasonable. If you don't like big creatures, and if you like small creatures, this is a good card for you. I also want to note this is uh, some really nice Quentin Hoover art. Quentin Hoover and uh, Richard Kane Ferguson were my two favorite artists when starting playing Magic, and this is uh, this is very very good. It's very. I'm into it. I mean, there's a lot of alpha, beta, unlimited art that's very iconic, but this is you. I'd put that up there as true iconic. Like you think of early Magic, you think of Quentin Hoover, and this is probably one of the best Quentin Hoover arts from early Magic. Yeah, I agree with that. This uh, card often gets confused with Mightstone. Uh, which sounds like a related card. It was an artifact from Antiquities. And I just want to point out here that they have nothing in common. Mightstone gives attacking creatures plus one, plus oh. So literally has nothing to do like with creatures untapping if they have above a certain power, especially since it only affects attacking creatures. There's like no relationship whatsoever. Also, trivia lore, the Mightstone, this is getting a little off tangent, but the Mightstone and Weakstone are the stone that's in Karn that makes him a Planeswalker. So that's cool. Ooh. Yeah. I kind of wish this was modern playable, to be honest. I think this would be a good fit for modern. It would be fine. Would this, uh, I mean, would people play this over in Snaring Bridge? No, it would be like uh, you played in maybe Infect or some White Weenie deck. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, I can see that. All right, so that is our card to remember for this week. Let's move right into the humans. Before we get to number 16, we have a couple of honorable mentions that didn't make the list. We had a Facebook Messenger chat bouncing around a bunch of ideas and kept throwing in cards and taking some out. And there were a couple I thought that we should mention anyway. Christian, you want to take the first one? So the first card, honorable mention, is Huntmaster of the Fells. So Huntmaster of the Fells is a 2-2 human werewolf for two red and a green. And whenever this creature enters a battlefield or transforms into Huntmaster of the Fells, create a 2-2 green wolf creature token and you gain two life. And then it has the Werewolf Clause, which is at the beginning of each upkeep. If you have no if no spells were cast last turn, you transform Huntmaster of the Fells. It transfers into Ravager of the Fells, which is its back half. It's a werewolf, has trample, and is a 4-4. And whenever this creature transforms into Ravager of the Fells, deals 2 damage to target opponent or planeswalker, and 2 damage to up to 1 target creature that player or that planeswalker's controller controls. And then if there are 2 spells that were cast at the beginning of each upkeep, you would... On the previous turn, you would transform Ravager of the Fells back to Huntmaster of the Fells. That's a lot of words. This is the magic werewolf, right? It's the most iconic one, for sure. card is in all kinds of cubes. And that's, I think, where I see it most, is it's like a red-green staple in any reasonably strong-powered cube. It's always one of the four-drop cards in Jund. Everyone talks about, oh, we can maybe play Huntmaster of the Fells mm-hmm. among our other four-drops. Um, that's its famous use now. It was a big standard player, though. This was the best werewolf in standard, and this was one of the best cards in that standard format, not named Delver of Secrets. Oh, yeah. It was really good against Delver because they were a mana leak deck, so they couldn't. They had to cast a spell on their turn, which kind of messed with their game plan. Otherwise, you would flip it and kill their Delver. 
Oh, it was beautiful. Also, this was in the same format as Cavern of Souls, so you could actually resolve your Huntmaster spells if you needed to, which was always fun. Um, kind of a rarity with those green-red decks, but uh, it sometimes came up, and it was always good to eat a Delver or a Snapcaster Mage, um, but you couldn't eat a Geist of St. Traff, and that was the awkward part of that card. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that it was played at Jun while Bloodbird Elf was banned, but I think the coolest thing this uh, card has ever done in Modern was in, I think... World 2011, where Shota Yosaoka lost in the finals. So he had Aether Vial in his deck. So if you violet, if you Aether Vial it in, then you, no one casts a spell, right? So it just flips. <laughs> mm. <laughs> that's a nice. That's a nice interaction. Our next honorable mention is Spike Tournament Grinder, one of the most broken cards in Magic history. Uh, very intentionally, this is a rare from Unstable. It is two Phyrexian black, Phyrexian black. So you can either pay two black, black, or two generic mana and four life, or two and a black and two life. Uh, Phyrexian mana is pretty broken, so we're already off to a good start. It is a 1-1 legendary human gamer. So we've got a fun creature type. And it has the ability for four Phyrexian black mana, you could choose a card you own from outside the game that has been banned or restricted in a constructed format, reveal that card, and put it into your hand. I mean, just pretty busted, gotta say. This is definitely the best unset human, and that includes cards like Baron Von Count, which has an ability that actually says destroy target player, and uh, a card named X, which you could put in your opponent's hand in order to play their cards for free, so that's a pretty high bar. So I understand you've used this card to great success in unstable drafts, right, David? Yeah, I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast, but it's kind of the magic high that I will always be chasing for the rest of my career. I did one unstable draft, and I brought what I called a spike board, like a sideboard of cards that had been banned in constructed formats to the draft, just in case I opened spike. Uh, I did open spike, and so in the first game I played on turn four, I played uh, Time Vault and Voltaic Key uh, against an 11-year-old and took all the turns for the rest of the game. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the uh, it, it was wonderful, and the look on his face as he slowly realized what was happening, and he said, wait, are you just going to take all the turns for the rest of the game? And uh, my response, of course, was, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very, very exciting. So I, uh, I highly recommend, if you have the opportunity to play Spike, uh, play the most busted thing possible. Usually that just means taking all the turns. I played it once. And the only thing I had in my binder was an Emrakul the Promised End, which, to be fair, is also a banned magic card. But <laughs> yeah. I, I got nothing on Voltaic Timefall. Yeah. We had a. Yeah, that, that's pretty nice. We had a player we all know uh, who still goes to Labyrinth, and for every unstable draft, he bought Timefall Voltaic Key on the off chance he would also draft a spike, but never did. So he just bought casually bought you know five hundred dollars worth of cards to every unstable draft <laughs> yeah let me be clear i i had mine i am not that dedicated to the joke although it worked out and you know it's, it's been worth it for me yeah one thing i'm probably going to cut from the podcast is the set collection number is 69 so it's very it's a very nice card. <laughs> wow nice i somehow never realized that i've got to get myself a foil <laughs> <laughs> So let's move on and talk about some more real cards with creature types that don't read Gamer. Why don't I start with number 16? This is Thalia's Lieutenant. 
So Thali's lieutenant is one and a white for a 1-1 human soldier. It was a rare from Shadows over Innistrad. And it says, when Thali's lieutenant enters the battlefield, put a plus one, plus one counter on each other human you control. Whenever another human enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one, plus one counter on Thalia's lieutenant. This card's nice. Yeah, let me tell you about this card. So <laughs> when you print a lord for a tribe that previously didn't have any other synergies, a lot of wacky stuff can happen. So explain, like, what wacky stuff can happen. It just, like, ties all these uh, disparate cards from 20 years apart together, it's, which is which is super cool, but all, it could be not too good at sometimes, but definitely is Tier 1 in Modern. Yeah, it won you a uh, Mythic Championship, so, you know, <laughs> that always helps. We already had Champion of the Parish from Innistrad, which was a white mana for a 1-1 human soldier that whenever another human entered the battlefield, you put a plus one, plus one counter on it. And that card was pretty nice. You know, for one more generic mana, having that ability, but also making the humans you already have larger is just a dramatic improvement. I mean, you rarely see cards that it doesn't matter if you play them early or late, you're still going to build a huge advantage in a tribal deck. It doesn't work like a normal lord, because even if you kill the lieutenant, your whole team is still big. It's not like a lord of Atlantis, where if you kill the lord, the whole hat, like everything kind of comes back down to a reasonable size. Also... If you deal with the other creatures with, like, say, Anger of the Gods or Pyroclasm or something, if you've played creatures since then, you just have a big creature that's still still on the board as well. So it really hits on two different angles that, for a lot of these decks that would try to deal with humans in that way, it's kind of frustrating, right? Oh, yeah. Even if you, even if you handle the, the, other, if the stuff that it pumped, then if you leave it around too long, it'll just become a 5-5. Five five. Yeah, seems nice. One of those lords that's good to uh, draw in multiples for sure. Yeah. All right, so we'll, we start with a lord. Let's go with a card that... It's a human, technically. This next one is Jace Vren's Prodigy. Jace Vren's Prodigy, it's another flip card, so we'll apologize. If you want to hit, you know, 1.5x on this as I talk about it, I totally understand. So Jace Vren's Prodigy is a one and a blue for a legendary creature human wizard. It's an O2 and has an ability that says tap, draw a card, then discard a card. If there are five or more cards in your graveyard, exile Jace Vren's Prodigy, then return him to the battlefield transformed under his owner's control. He transforms into Jace Telepath Unbound, which is a legendary Planeswalker Jace. Its first ability is plus one up to one target creature gets minus two, minus zero until your next turn. Its next ability is minus three. You may cast target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard this turn. If that card would be put into your graveyard this turn, exile instead. And finally, minus nine, you can emblem with whenever you cast a spell, target opponent puts the top five cards of their library into their graveyard. It has five loyalty. Man, we're just giving you all the super long cards to read this show. I should. I think the green. I think the green card in this cycle, the Nissa, is one of, has the either the most text on any card or like the second most text after the Flip Garrick. <sighs> oh, I believe that. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's very wordy, but you know what? When you're one of the best cards to be printed in a standard set, you know. You can be as many words as you like, right? Yeah, this card absolutely dominated the standard. The set after it was printed, Battle for Zendikar. It was in Jeskai Black, which was a four-color mid-range aggro control deck. <laughs> How would you describe that deck? It's impossible. I mean, the fact that they come up with the name Jeskai Black to be like, well, it's four colors, but we're just going to call it three colors and then throw on another one. I remember somebody calling it Mardu Blue once, and I'm like, all right, guys, we just... We got to come up with something and stick with it here. You know what it reminded me of those decks? It reminded me of Cobblade in that you had a control aspect of it, but then randomly there were games where you just went like 
curve out into a big creature and then win. It was very weird. I feel like when decks do that, they kind of make magic unfun for a lot of people. (laughs) Yeah, you had a bunch of cards that got value, but also did damage. I think Crackling Doom is definitely a good example of that. (laughs) Oh, man. Which had like a, it's a a red, a black, and a white for basically an edict, but, and it shocked them. You used to play that card after casting Jay's Friend's Prodigy on turn two, and then probably flipping Jace and then flashing it back. Proves pretty sweet, but yeah, you know, a deck that has a card that is one in a blue and then casts a card the next turn that's red, white, and black probably shouldn't have been possible, but you know. Thank you, Fetchlands. Made standard oh. fun. <laughs> Spe- oh, speaking of expensive lands, how expensive would this card at its height? 100? Uh, it was the. I think that it very briefly was that high. It kind of stuck around like 70 or 80 for a while, if I recall correctly. I remember being at a Grand Prix and one of the Japanese players came up to the table with a binder full of like Ravages of War before they had done the judge printing and all of these cards and just pulled them all out of his binder and traded them in and bought out their JVPs at like 80 or 85 bucks. And it was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. But he was going to go sell them to other pros, apparently, who like couldn't find them. Holy. So the all-time high for Jace Wren's Prodigy was $92.79. Yeah, it was wow. just like the backbone of standard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a standard mythic. It's $92. It's like, go ahead and just buy a box of Origins and see what happens. Jace, Jace, baby. Yeah. Now it's only sixteen fifty. So I hope you didn't buy into the to the hype. I don't think it's played in anything in modern now, is it? It's like a fringe Grixis card. Yeah. Sure. Oh, wait, I wait, wait. Um, Sam Pardee won the Grand Prix the week before, like two weeks before the Pro Tour, and he was playing, I think, two of these in his Grixis Shadow deck. Ooh, okay. Yeah. It's a playable card, it's just kind of slow. Yeah, you, um, yeah. it's one of those things, too, that you can't really, like, if your opponent's playing Lightning Bolts, like, it's really hard to bring it in, but otherwise, like, it hasn't found a home, I guess, is the best way to say it. Yeah, it seems like what you want to be doing in Modern may not be a two-mana O2 that requires you to actually, like, tap it to do anything with it. It's got, like, no other abilities on the card. Well, especially when you have Snapcaster Mage, right? Like, why go through all the hoops when you could just, you know, play the real deal? Yeah, I think he actually played, like, two... He played two Jaces and three Snapcasters. Whew. That's I think that's like because it's an eighteen land deck thing, so you don't always get to three to snap caster of Thoughtseize, Maybe. Well, sure. That. It's still it's still interesting that sometimes it will sometimes it does come up the corner case scenarios where Jace edges them out. Right. I can see that. Yeah, that <laughs> seems fine. <laughs> All right. All right. So that was our number fifteen card. What is our number fourteen card, Eli? Our number fourteen card. Well, it's sort of two cards. It's Black Knight, but it's also White Knight. So each one of these cards costs two colored mana. Black Knight costs black black, and it's a human knight. It has first strike and protection from white, and it's a 2-2. And white knight is the opposite. It costs white white, has first strike, protection from black, and it's a 2-2. I love that symmetry there, right? And these were these were alpha cards, right? Like these are OG. Oh yeah. This card, yeah, this card is just so iconic. I I remember when I started playing, this was in fifth edition. And the arts were a lot different, but I remember being like, well, this is really cool. And it was just one of the best creatures even then that you could play, which is not really saying much. The creatures weren't hot stuff in 1997, but it's very, it hits that fantasy trope really hard, right? You know, like the two knights that are, can't kill each other, but they're opposed. And it, 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 
it's really funny and interesting how they capture that in Alpha, something so succinct as these two cards. Yeah, I always thought it was a little bit funny that they just could not enter the arena against each other. Like, they both had protection from each other, and so I guess it's like, you picture them jousting based on the art on the cards, and they just kind of, like, run past each other and nothing happens. Yeah, pitched so, the eternal struggle. I think Black Knight's the better knight, though, just because of its original flavor. Uh, well, Ooh, what was that? Yeah, you gotta hit this with that. Battle doesn't need a purpose. The battle is its own purpose. You don't ask why a plague spreads or a field burns. Don't ask why I fight. Wow. It's really leaning into it. <laughs> very evocative. It's very it's very metal. Like, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to mess with you. Whereas White Knight, you're like, yeah, whatever. It's a dude. Well, okay, so let's look at the White Knight flavor text. This is also pretty metal. Out of the blackness and stench of the engulfing swamp emerged a shimmering figure. Only the splattered armor and ichor-stained sword hinted at the unfathomable evil the knight had just laid waste. That's dope. These cards are dope. How many different iterations of this card have been printed? So, well, if you have, you know, alpha, beta, unlimited, revised, certainly. No, no, no. no, I mean, Uh, like, how many different, like, two twos, how many, like, like, small white and black creatures with protection from the other color? So, let's see. There were the exalted ones. There's the dominaria ones. Yep. Yes. But they don't have protection. They have hexproof. That doesn't count. No, that, come on. <laughs> uh, uh, there are the ones from Fallen Empires. The Fallen white Knights. one was the Order of Leetbur, right? And the black one, I believe, was, Order was of that the Order Ebon of Hand. the Ebon Hand? Yep. Yep. That's three. Um, Paladin on Vec, but it's cost three, but it had protection. There's no, there's no, there's no black one, though, right? Huh? No, there is no black one. No. Um, oh, okay. Kamigawa, Hand of Cruelty. Yep. What's the what was the flip side of that? Hand of Cruelty, and what was the other one? Hand of Honor is what you're looking for. Those were both the same thing, uh, but instead of First Strike, they had Bushido one. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't discount Bushido. Um, can you guys name the white and red analogs? Oh, uh, Crimson uh, Blood Knight. Yes, I think it's. Is it Blood Knight? Oh, bl- it's blood and so, it's blood knight and silver knight. Yes, that's correct. We only have blood knight because it's the color shifted version of silver knight. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It's kind of funny that they made silver knight to be. It was like when they were doing all of the different paladins from the different directions. Oh yeah, right. You you started with northern paladin, and they were like, ah, let's just do the other cardinal directions. Also need paladins for some reason. <laughs> and then they they did the color shifted one. That's funny. Yep. So yeah, this is obviously a common theme, and then we can't forget uh, Still Moon Cavalier, which both. was both. Yeah, it's got protection from white and black, and you can give it flying first strike or plus you one pump, plus zero. Yeah, you pump it. Yeah, you pump it. Okay. Yeah, it's like a. It's like every single version of a knight in one. It's probably the Ur, the Ur knight, right? It has all the knight abilities. Yeah. Man, we could have just done a whole show on two two knights. Maybe that's still out there in the future. We could go stupidly <laughs> deep, but. <laughs> being a fantasy trope and being iconic i'm not surprised that they just riffed on it over and over i thought the dominaria ones were awesome and i'm sure we're gonna see those again soon what's the uh what do we got after the iconic knight duo all right so we're on number 13 and that is my boy grim lava mancer so grim lava mancer is a single red for a one one human wizard and it has an activated ability red and tap exile two cards from your graveyard Grim Lava Mancer deals two damage to any target. So exiling two cards and shocking something is amazing. It's pretty good. Repeatable shot. Yeah, it's funny because like this card has like, seen so much play and it's never a four of because uh, they they it's in such diminishing returns to pay that cost a lot. Yes, right. 
might, you just always see one Grimlavamancer. It might have been a four yep. of when it was in standard. Oh, it's in, in bur- yeah, in, in like a standard burn deck. Yeah, I see that. like torments and like the, that's the only time I think is a four of because this was the bee's knees in during that set. <laughs> I don't know what standard was like in Magic twenty twelve, but uh, yeah, torment and the you know graveyard centric theme that was present at that time makes it seem like something you would probably want to have available. It can go to the face. I mean, this is a card that you know. Again, I think one of the things we see in common with these cards is they're played in a bunch of formats, but um, they're powerful enough where they're all staples and cubes. This is a great card in your mono red cube deck, right? right? People put this in their cubes for that reason. It's like, yeah, maybe you can kill one of their creatures, your little prowess guys get through, and then you just face, 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 face after all your stuff has died. All right, so Christian, what is our number 12? Our number 12 is Tireless Tracker. This is a newer one, too. Uh, Tireless Tracker is tuna green for a human scout. It's a 3-2, and it has whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, investigate. So essentially landfall investigate and investigate is create a colorless clue artifact token with two sacrifices artifact draw card. And it also has whenever you sacrifice a clue, put a plus one plus one counter on tireless tracker. Oh, this card is so nice. I hate it. I respect it, but I hate it. Yeah. You, you, we know your thoughts on green card advantage, Christian. You are not a fan. <laughs> this card came out right after course of crucifix had left standard. So it was, it just moved on from like one, like green three drop that buried your opponent in card advantage to a different green three drop that buried your opponent in card advantage. But it, it got yep. bigger. I think that was the one thing that killed me. It was like, uh, it was like a baby goif. You think this is never good. Like it never stays as a three, two, this thing's up, turns into a seven, six, a, 10, 9, or whatever. It's it's gross. Course of Crucifix ran D, but then this card does not, does not play out that way. <laughs> it, it's a kill-on-sight card for me. Like, if someone plays Tireless Tracker, it doesn't even matter. They could be a 3-life. I'll still bolt the tracker before I kill them. Like... <laughs> <laughs> This card has seen modern play in a bunch of different decks. Uh, it shows up occasionally in creature toolbox decks like Counters Company. It shows up in Obzon decks that were bouncing around for a while. You know, Reed Duke, I remember played one at Pro Tour Rivals, I believe it was, that was kind of a straight up Jund except with white cards. Dark Confidence, Scavenging Uses, Tarmogoyf's Grim Flayers, and then Tireless Tracker's got to be in there as well. It's like, just replace your red cards with Lingering Souls and live the dream. Right. Sometimes it gets... I've seen it in Legacy sometimes, out of sideboards. Ooh. Yep. Lands plays it, right? Yeah. In in an exploration deck, you can get, like, really crazy. (sighs) All right. Let's move on. Eli, what is number 11 on our list? Number 11 is one of my favorite cards. It's uh, Knight of the Reliquary. It's one green and a white for a creature. It's a human knight. It's a 2-2. But it also gets plus one, plus one for each land card in your graveyard. And it also has the tap ability of sacrifice a forest or planes, search your library for a land card and put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. Yeah, this card was like the basis of like all of my like, not my first modern decks, but my second batch of modern decks were all based around this card. We'll get into it in a bit, but let's talk about the good parts of it. Like, I, I think this is, it's fantastic for tutoring silver bullet lands, right? Like you could turn your savannas and your forests and planes into like, what, 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 what's the best card you can turn it into? The, the best this that's the that's, that's the beauty of it, them being bullets because like if you're playing in sneak and show you go grab your caracas to bounce their legends if you're playing against uh infect or delver or something that wants to like kill you with the big creature you get your maze of it turn off their attacker and if you're if, if you just add a gas you go grab a horizon canopy sacrifice it draw a card nice yeah the the magic words a land card on anything that tutors <laughs> just 
extremely questionable. Yeah, the further of back course, you go, the more powerful that becomes. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I mean, this even has seen a lot of modern play more recently because of a super innocuous battle for Zendikar card, Retreat to Coral Helm, enchantment that was part of this retreat cycle. This one was two and a blue, and it has landfall. It said, whenever land enters the battlefield under your control, you could choose one. One of them is you can tap or untap target creature. Well, that's relevant. And the other one is you can scry one. So, you know, just go pop all of your lands, you know, get forests, planes, put them in the graveyard, go get whatever lands you want. And then your Knight of the Reliquary is huge. <laughs> yeah, you can even go grab some. There are even lands to go give it a vision once you tap it and untap it a bunch. Yes. Yep. Sajiri Step. Ugh. Keswick Wolf Run. Yep. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Here's my hot take. I know it's your favorite card, Eli, so this is going to be a perfect discussion. I always felt Knight of the Reliquary either was like does nothing or is just like the best creature on the table. But it was never in between. You're never like, this is a mediocre Knight of the Reliquary. It was either like, oh, no, this is literally stone cold nothing. Why am I playing this 2-2 two, two for 3? Or, oh, hey, I have a 9-9 nine, nine and you're about to die. I think that's like a modern legacy thing. In modern, like, uh, it's mostly just about the beef. But in legacy, like, you get, like... Like what kind of lands you can get is just like so crazy. Like you can just like go grab the dark depths combo and legacy. Like, like what the hell is that? <laughs> that's fair. That that's that, yeah, is, that like... is fair. <laughs> yeah, I just I always find it really funny in modern when they're like, oh, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna just tutor for this bajukabog and I'll get you. And you're like, okay. <laughs> and that's never worked. Nobody's ever gotten gotten by that. <laughs> yeah, you kind of know. Like they play it and you're like, oh. Yeah, in modern it's just about it being big. Yeah. That's fair. I thought this would be a little hotter than it was, but you know what? Yeah, so let's move on from one big green creature human to another green human. Uh, David, what's our 10th ranked card on the list? Oh man, this is uh, what they call a hot one. This is Eternal Witness, Ewit. It's one green green for a 2-1 human shaman. It was originally an uncommon from Fifth Dawn, and it reads, when Eternal Witness enters the battlefield, you may return target card from your graveyard to your hand. Yeah, regrowth, pay an extra green man, and you get a 2-1 out of it. This card is obviously extremely, extremely hot. Oh, I was raising the roof, listeners, just listening to it. It was the hotness. <laughs> yeah, this one, goes, so, this one goes really deep. I'll just start by saying that most of the cards we're discussing this week and that we'll talk about in the top eight are not big commander staples. This, however, is by far the most played human in commander. According to EDH rec, more than 40% of decks that can play it, AKA have green in them, play this card. It should be way higher than that for sure. Yeah. Let's be real here. In EDH, it doesn't say it. it, it the fact that it's human is just really ancillary. It's really just regrowth on a stick. <laughs> like that's, yes. let's, let's talk about the more important part of that. <laughs> yeah, you you flicker it, you play it out of your graveyard, you do a bunch of other things. This has obviously seen success in a ton of formats, especially in modern. You, you know, this was a staple in the Birthing Pod lists before Birthing Pod got banned. It's played in the Devoted Druid combo decks as a way to get things back from the graveyard because people like to kill combo pieces. But it's just exactly what you want. What, what was the best standard deck that used it? Was it in that Tooth and Nail deck? I don't think Tooth and Nail played it because it was like just expensive, right? Because I know that in Extended it was it was the best thing to Astral Slide, but yeah, like I think I feel I, I'm not I don't know this for sure because I didn't play it back then, but like I feel like there was so much. It's one of the few cards on this list that didn't go crazy in st- when it was in Standard because there was so much other busted stuff going on in Meriden. 
Oh no. Well, that was part of the problem is, so I was playing standard and block construct a lot. And that was a big problem, right? Like you had slide decks, but you know, with with slide decks, they were more about like exiling your creatures. They never dealt damage. (laughs) And then skull clamp was a thing, but this was played really after skull clamp got banned. But even then the block after was champions of Kamigawa. So there was a lot of like Umazawa's Jite battles going on. And so there wasn't a whole lot of like chances to be like, I'm going to cast this regrowth. They're like, Oh, that's cool. I'll, I'll cast a just counterspell. Like I'll just counterspell your stuff. You're like, oh. <laughs> I'll, I'll cast so, Gifson, Given, or Arcbound Ravager. Heard of those? <laughs> right. Uh, so according to MTGTop8.com, the only professional or major standard events this appeared in were at Worlds 2004 in Astral Slide and Tooth and Nail decks. But so no other pro tours, no no nothing. It was just not standard played. Yeah, a lot of these other cards were dominant in standard. But this one just wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, even though it is really good modern. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, right? Like, this is one that was a grower. Like, it was pegged as good, but I think it just took some time. But I wish this card was legal when it when Revelark was in standard. Oh, that would have been the hotness. Oh, I lost to that combo last Tuesday, dude. I don't want. I didn't want any of that in standard. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we have an EDH all-star. Eli, what's the last card that just misses the top eight cut? What's the human kicking itself just missing the, the glory? Uh, you know, a lot of these other cards, they lost their winning in, you know. They they were pretty cleanly into the top 16. But this this card got edged out on breakers for sure. This is Mother of Runes. It's one white mana. It's a creature. It's a human cleric. It's a 1-1. One, one, and it has tap. Target creature you control gains protection from the color of your choice until end of turn. It's mom. Hi, mom. Oh, yeah. This is maybe one of the most omnipresent Magic the Gathering nicknames. Yes, absolutely. Comfortably also in the same, typically in the same deck as the card Plow, which is like kind of awkward, but like we don't worry about that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say something controversial here. I think this should be ninth by an asterisk because this was originally a cleric. This only became a human in the Grand Creature update from a, a couple of years ago. Oh, that's yeah. I, I, there are probably a few other cards on the list that all, that also applies to. Oh, sure, but oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, which, yeah, is, yeah. which is interesting, but yeah, there's a couple. We'll we'll get to them. No there. spoilers, no spoilers, no spoilers. But yeah, there's some notable ones. God, I kill this thing on site too. I hate this card so much. <laughs> yeah, you have th- to. You, you you when they play it, you have that turn to deal with it. Right, or you just play yeah, a draw. Have, have you ever just like had like a terminate and like been on the draw? That must feel bad. <laughs> no, my favorite is when you're. Pl- I was playing Miracles, and I had the openers where it was like an island and a bunch of blue cantrips, and then my opponent goes Plains Mother Runes, and I'm like, oh, well. Well, now we're in Terminus mode already. <laughs> like, oh, this is great. <laughs> I didn't want to play Magic anyway, but I guess we both didn't want to play Magic. This is fantastic. So I think this is probably very high on the list of creatures that have a extremely, extremely high number of times played to number of times attacked with ratio. Oh, you don't, I don't think you'll meet another human being on the planet that's attacked with Mother Runes more than I have. That's fair. And we know how much you like attacking with small creatures. <laughs> right. It's like, this probably barely beats out Time Elemental, which deals five to you when you attack and it's a zero two. It's like in that same zone. <laughs> Listen, if I'm playing in Storm, I'm going to attack them for one. Gosh, you got to show them who's boss. But also, it's also one of the most disrespectful things you can do to your opponent. <laughs> Just like, it is. Dude, dude, you don't have Echoing Truth or anything. Dude, like, you take one, dude. 
the, my legacy deck of choice now is Eldrazi, and it's now I'm slowly getting out of the fear the mother of, mother of runes phase in my life because now they'll play it and I'm like oh, that's cool. I, these guys are colorless and they go oh. Oh. oh my god, the last time I played Death and Taxes, I got walking blistered like all the way back home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, walking ballist is a card. That's uh that, that one's not messing around. You 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 boarded you, there's one in my sideboard for the mirror to kill mom. Wow. In my wanna white creature deck. <laughs> hey man, you do what you gotta do. That's so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, one of the nice things about Mom as a card is that you look at it and it's just like definitely a mom. The original art, I mean, her name is either Karen or Diane. <laughs> That's definitely a disapproving look too, right? That's not a, oh, I'm so proud of you. It's like, you came in at two in the morning last night. Can you explain yourself, yeah. right? She kind of looks like she's sitting there drinking the coffee as you're coming in in the middle of the night. Like you walk in, you shut the door quietly, she flips on the light and is like, so where have you been? (laughs) It's that kind of thing. Because I have protection from any color. So Her sleeves are really big. You notice that? Yes. Yes. It's kind of awkward. Actually, how is that one on um, on our left? So I guess her right. How is that one standing up? It must be really stiff. Must be. Yeah, it's very rigid. She uses a lot of starch. Also, what is that doll? It's like a tiger zebra. Oh, that's a scribe. That scribe's totally writing whatever she's she's uh, saying. Oh, it's a little. Oh, gnome. it's an actual creature. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, man, dude, Urza's like late late nineties magic was weird, and this was yeah right yeah right right before they got to the modern period, but like after like not like not during Alpha, like some. Oof. <laughs> I was going through art. Um, Earlier today, I was a little little bored at work, and so I just took a break and looked at Scryfold some art. And I was like, oh, this is really distinctive, but this is really weird. Like, Mirage to Urza's Destiny art, it's like, what what is happening? But, you know, this is like exhibit A of that. Yeah, it's, it's very unfortunate. All right, so I'll do a recap of what we talked about today. We had two honorable mentions, Huntmaster of the Fells and Spike Tournament Grinder. And then our 16 through number 9 were 16, Thalia's Lieutenant, 15, Jace of Rin's Prodigy, 14, Black and White Knight, 13, Grim Lavamancer, 12, Tireless Tracker, 11, Knight of the Reliquary, 10, Eternal Witness, and 9, Mother of Runes. I have to say, guys, based on what this podcast normally is, I'm a little uncomfortable talking about this many great cards. Oh, yeah. This is, uh, and here's the best part. These are all great cards, but they've all gotten the equivalent of a $500 check and a nice pat in the back, and that's all they got to show for it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Next time, uh, one through eight is yeah, going to be dirty. You think these, yeah, you think these cards are good. <laughs> oh, baby. Um, we are in trouble. I'm going to do a quick spoiler because I just want to make sure we don't talk about this. So, a card that we're not even mentioning is also human, but technically a human, Delver of Secrets, but that's how many humans there are. There's so many humans in this humans tournament that even just mentioning, not mentioning honorable mentions is crazy. So if you ever want to go yeah. crazy and deep dive, go go hit up humans on Scryfall. I'd yeah, listen, I think Delver up the list might be a punt. Hot take, hot take. That card is a product of Ponder and not its own merits. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're right. <laughs> Delver is just the guy who gets all the credit because he happened to deal 20 damage while your opponent was pondering and mana leaking and whatever interaction they were doing with you. <laughs> I mean, you know what's better than a Delver of Secrets is an insectile aberration, although also a human. Oh, that's a human insect, isn't it? 
It is a human insect. <laughs> all right, we're getting, so, we're, getting, we're getting off track. We're getting off track. We're off track. <laughs> all right, all right. Okay. So before we go today, I do want to talk to you a little bit about your recent Mythic Championship victory. We'll save the kind of human-specific questions for next time, but I wanted to hit a few things this week. First of all, man, you won the Mythic Championship. What does that mean for you personally? It's like I didn't... Even when I was in the finals, I like... The, the game I try to play is like, don't think about what's at the end of the tunnel, just like play magic. So... Mm-hmm. That might be affecting me now still because I'm just like sometimes I have to remind myself that like dude you won the pro tour or the mythic championship or whatever it's so crazy yeah. like this has like implications that like maybe I'm invited to the MPL next year like I'm going to play in worlds like I never even thought like that was in my range you know yeah it's but now sure. I'm out here what did you think of Chris Bakula's tweet asking if anybody knows if you listen to metal. Oh, we, I had a I had a, a very excellent Twitter exchange with Chris Bakula, but but it was about my use of the the card meddling mage because I didn't have uh, I just had the four copies that the store had, and that was three. Not all of them were matching. Sure. So when he pointed that out, I tweeted back at him, "Forgive me, Father, for I had sinned." Which I That's felt nice. like kind of has a little bit of religiosity metal tinge to it. As a quick follow-up to that, did he ask? Was he the one who asked about your team with Elliot and Connor at GPG? Yeah, he, he yes, he did that. Okay, because I was trying to find that. Somebody tweet. somebody retweeted that his 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 tweet asking like, "Hey, I don't this fifth place team. I don't recognize their names. That's cool." <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, it's that dude. That's sick." <laughs> <laughs> Got there. Got there. Like many years apart, just kind of getting Chris Bakula's attentions for some reason is kind of hilarious. <laughs> Um, so yeah absolutely so you know this was obviously a tournament with a limited portion as well how did you feel about the london mulligan for limited specifically i think that it was just really nice i didn't take too many mulligans to the tournament you know Mm -hmm. boo yeah it sucks to be me right but um yeah just terrible yeah it just it felt pretty smooth when i did mulligan i think it would be great to adopt that if they could like somehow like tweak it so that it doesn't push uh eternal formats too hard I don't know. Sure. So, do you, is this the best mulligan you think, or is this is the Vancouver or Paris mulligans better? For limited, I think the more powerful mulligan is better for the game. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll be interested. We'll talk a little bit about what it does to to modern the next time. But I really love it for limited at the GP I played last weekend, or excuse me, the Magic Fest I played in last weekend. I was really missing it. You know, we've been playing cube a lot with the London mulligan, and it just eliminates a bunch of these non-games that I had on both sides this last weekend. I didn't know if you had that same experience. Kind of similarly, this tournament was so weird because it was basically a pre-release draft. What effect do you think the fact that people hadn't really played with these cards other than their own private testing had on you and your performance? I think that was a big part of me doing well in the event. Because if yeah. the set is released on a normal schedule... Then like I feel like the pros can do like a hundred drafts, people with on big testing teams, and they just they pull ahead a lot when that happens compared to someone like sure. me who's not on a team. Right, but I will I'll, don't undersell yourself. Like you've always been a fantastic limited person. Like you've always had the strong fundamentals. I've just gotten stronger. Honestly, I'm not just saying this just to boost your ego, but like I was never worried about you doing well in the limited portions for like pro tours. So I think your card evaluation skills are just so high that you can just kind of luck sack not the luck sack it's not the right word but you can you can just do a couple of drafts and do well and in limited because it's always seemed like you could do it that way like you do a lot of work and a lot of preparation but 
your limited game has always just seemed kind of sublime to me. I, don't know. It, I, I feel like I'm okay at limited, like it, when I'm at that level. So there were so many like punts and punts back in that tournament. Like I played uh, the four one goblin that dies and puts a counter on something and forgot that it Ooh, engaged yeah. and didn't attack a Domri raid. I lost that game. Wow. Uh, I killed myself with Bolasa Citadel because I thought you could sack lands, and I paid too much. Li- <laughs> and I paid too much life. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I would uh, do that. One too. of my opponents played Samet and, and didn't scry when they activated okay. it. I said, what if some other some crazy stuff happened? Yeah, there's a bunch of examples of just like people doing like way wacky stuff that like normally like I wouldn't people at that level don't do. Yeah, I mean, even this last weekend, you know, the set is still like fairly new. And one of the folks I was with who is a very accomplished player realized after his match, he's like, oh, Mowu has vigilance. So I should have just been attacking with my like 7 7 good boy this whole time instead of staying back to block. Cool. Right. Yeah. Right. The one that's a complex set. Yeah. No, the one that gets me yeah. is mobilized uh, district that has vigilance on it. But it does. But that's I didn't right. realize that until I played an arena and I was like, why is this thing not tap? Oh, this is not tapping because it has vigilance. Like, this is really good. So, wait, one more question, personal question. I know you're a very responsible person, but what's the one thing you want to blow the money on once you get, once you get your uh, pro, pro tour, uh, Mythic Championship uh, prize winning? Uh, probably the flights to uh, Grand Prix that I should be going to. <laughs> that sounds great. On that note, uh, you know, Grand Prix Minneapolis is modern this year. Are you going to come to Minneapolis? Uh, maybe, is it too, it might be close, too close to Spain for me to take the work days off. Uh, maybe I it might a, be. Maybe if I get, I'll go if I can get a red eye. Okay. 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 Well, well you've got a place to stay uh, as usual if, if you want. So I always do. Um, it, but I call the yep, bed. If you do come. Love to see you. <laughs> I'm old. That's my excuse. Perfect. <laughs> All right, Eli. Well, we'll have a lot to dig into next time. But can you tell us first where on the internet people can find you? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at BlackShirtMan. Spelled just like it sounds. Did your Twitter account just blow up after the win? Uh, yeah, I, I, it was pretty crazy. I, I know I, you're not like, a big... Uh... Oh, yeah. Well, I am now. I was funnily enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know you have That's not been the a... biggest change in my like normal life is now I use Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> it was right. really funny because they didn't they didn't have your Twitter handle, and I think if all of your friends just like simultaneously tweeted it to the Magic Esports account, and they were like, "Yo, he, he has a Twitter." Just because he didn't tell you doesn't mean he doesn't have a Twitter. <laughs> please, please include this. So I thought that was the funniest part of that whole weekend. I remember on the first show you did for us, you were like, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Blackshirt, man, but I don't really tweet, so there's not really a point to following me. And now it's like, well, now you kind of have to tweet. <laughs> I've got the yeah. pictures, pictures of this trophy, and people care what I have to say, and it's kind of nice. Yeah, Deliver the hot takes. It's all right. right. <laughs> Eli, thank you for joining us today. We look forward to talking to you again next week about humans, humans, and humans. Uh, listeners, you can find us on Twitter at RememberMTG or send us an email at RememberSomeCards at gmail.com. We would love your feedback and please tell us what cards you want to remember. And until next time, don't forget to remember some cards. <laughs>